listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Thanks for listening. The major legislative debate in Congress so far this year has been whether and how to overhaul national health care. It was a contentious measure on the House floor that failed to wrangle enough support for its first go-round, primarily due to strong opposition from the Conservative Freedom Caucus. But President Trump and House Speaker Paul Ryan didn't give up on the issue and eventually negotiated a new deal that would pull in more conservative votes. That plan, however, pushed some more moderate Republicans to the brink, threatening the overhaul once again. And there was one lawmaker who found himself on the national stage during that period, Congressman Fred Upton, the Republican from West Michigan. So he expressed public concern over provisions to protect people with pre-existing conditions. Upton's vote was critical to hold the line on passage of a new health care plan. And eventually he was won over with some tweaks. But he remained the voice of center-leaning Republicans who are concerned about how drastic changes to health care would affect their districts and their constituents. Joining me right now is Congressman Fred Upton. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. So tell me about this national limelight that sort of shone upon you in quick succession. I'm not sure if you anticipated. Well, every vote was critical. Uh, but, you know, for me, you know, we got a lot of flaws with Obamacare that need to be fixed. And I set out, I, uh, set out on a strategy early on, a couple of ironclad things that I said I've got to have if I'm going to you know, as it determined my vote. Right. One of them is, one of them is pre-existing conditions that they be covered. So every family has them, right? So my wife is, uh, she has lupus. Uh, my mom's a cancer survivor. My dad has diabetes. And it's important that people are not discriminated against if, in fact, they have one of those uh, pre-existing illnesses. And what the Freedom Caucus was able to get. They, they had a, a change to the bill after it left the committee and it allowed states to ask for a waiver uh, to avoid essential health benefits which includes pre-existing illnesses. And so I, I was quizzed by the press, you know, Fred, where are you on this? And I said, I'm listening, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And I came to the conclusion that in fact that waiver would would uh, undermine my support for or my my resolve on pre-existing illnesses. So I, I let our leadership know, and the and the uh, the president called me a day or two later, and you know I'd been in a few meetings with him. I I was one of those uh, Republicans that actually did not get involved in the presidential race, uh, really at, at all. He never came to my district. None of the candidates, well, came to my district. But in any case. I told the president that I had seen him on the TV uh, earlier in the weekend, and he had a statement, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but he said, in essence, pre-existing illnesses would be uh, just as protected in this bill as they were in Obamacare. And I said, that's not right. I mean, th that's not what's going to happen because right. you're allowing states to waive it. So I told him that I, I couldn't support it, and there were a number of others that told him for the same reason. And so he asked us to come down the next day and walk him through it, and we did. And at the end of the day, I was able to get $8 billion to cover for high-risk pools to make sure that, in fact, if a state does ask for a waiver, that there'll be money to cover this particular provision if it happens. Well, something that strikes me about, about sort of what you were saying about President Trump's statements, that there's this sense that 
several people didn't know what was in the bill. And that was a central criticism as well during the Obamacare negotiations. We don't know what's in this. We've got to pass it to find out what's in it, which was a very serious and, and uh, reasonable well, it's, criticism. And it's, it's a very complex bill. It's hundreds of pages long. Actually, in our committee, uh, not only did we read it, it was read to us. I mean, that was you know, it took about two or three hours uh, for uh, a clerk, this time around, uh, or this, yeah, yeah. Uh, to actually read, you know, page by page through through the bill when we marked it up last last March. That must have been fun listening. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Um, it was a good read or two, I, I got to say. But in any case, but yeah, it's it's very complex, and you know, the Senate is going to make changes as they should. It's. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that you know. You know, I don't know how I'm gonna what the final package is gonna look like, but my sense is, as I talk to a, a number of my colleagues in the Senate who are part of that gang of 12 or 13 that are trying to figure this thing out as well, that I hope that at the end of the day, they will see what I did on pre-existing illnesses and maybe make it stronger. Uh, certainly, have it out there as as a major plank. Uh, uh, I want to make sure that states like ours, Michigan. And we're one of 31 states that expanded Medicaid coverage. Uh, there were some, and I actually worked to thwart the effort, there were some that wanted to have that Medicaid expansion end this year. And maybe the votes were there, um, but we, we have a much better transition, and my sense is that the Senate can do even better than what we did. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Senate does. And but if the Senate can do something that is um, perhaps more refined or better in your estimation, does it have the potential of being approved then back in the House? I mean, would it? Well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Remember, the margin is very small. So in the you know in the, in the House now we just won this special election in Montana. So I think now our margin is 23 seats uh, in the House. Uh, in the Senate, of course, it's 52, 48, uh, and you've got you know you've got the the polling and tugging from the more moderates uh, versus the, the hardcore conservatives, the Freedom Caucus, which are often no votes on everything, even even veterans, even, you know, sanctions on North Korea. I mean, anything. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Detroit Today. We're speaking with Congressman Fred Upton. He's from St. Joe and represents the west, southwest part of the state. Uh, there is this sense that we are becoming a more divided country. I think we've always had many divides, maybe they're just becoming more pronounced or we're becoming more dug in. Um, you represent what feels like a diminished qual quality in a congressperson, which is somebody who's willing to be analytical and see both sides and, and talk to people on all sides of the debate. Um, how do you reconcile what's happening in Congress? Do you see it as becoming more divided? You know, or are you it's a, really a dying tragic. Lead? So <clears throat> for me, excuse me, you know, I started working for a, a great president a long time ago, Ronald Reagan. I mean, a Republican president, a Democratic Congress, and he got things done. And if he had relied only on Republicans, we, we would have been in a mess. Um, but he, I was part of the effort to reach across the aisle to work with people like Tip O'Neill and, and Jim, Speaker Jim Wright and, you know, Democrats. You know, John Dingell. John Dingell was chairman of Energy and Commerce Committee, a, a spot that I later became chairman of. Right. He and I are the best of friends for all the right reasons. Well, see, he's another person who's willing to work yeah. across the aisle. Yeah, we, and we did. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he gave me a number of tasks uh, to do that, that I think we're far better off uh, for. It. One, of the, one of my big initiatives was doubling the amount of money for the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. Uh, it had languished along, and 
Uh, it was a bipartisan effort. I joined with Henry Waxman, a Democrat, later became also Chairman of Energy and Commerce, John McCain in the Senate, uh, and Paul Wellstone, a Democrat. And the four of us passed the bill to double the money for the NIH. Now, it's sort of interesting, when I came up here earlier in the week, uh, one of the people on my plane was Mark Schlesel, the president of the University of Michigan, sure. good friend. He helped us a lot. One of our big initiatives last year was 21st Century Cures, a bill that passed overwhelmingly in both the House and the Senate. Uh, huge increase for the NIH, expedites the approval of drugs and devices so we can find the cures for these diseases that plague every family. And, you know, we were talking about the economy, a number of different things, and um, University of Michigan is as like Michigan State, uh, mm -hmm. but Michigan, too, is one of the, the larger research institutions, and they do incredible work. In fact, I had a researcher from Michigan in my office a couple of weeks ago, and they think that he thinks that they may have found the, uh, the cure for adrenal cancer, wow. pretty small, you know, element. I but mean, they're also but, very worried about oh, the funding. Well, that's right. Yeah. But for that research, yeah, you're right. But one of the things we talked about on the plane was, we all want three percent growth. I mean, that's how we get out of this economic mess that we're in. Sure, it's going to take a while. But if you don't invest in the future, you can't get there. And that's why we need money for the NIH. So we doubled the money. Then one of the things we did. Uh, literally, we can, we can claim credit for a $45 billion increase in the NIH spending over 10 years because of what we did on my Cures legislation. And we just got $2 billion in the uh, $2 billion increase in the omnibus uh, appropriation bill that President Trump signed a couple weeks ago. And we're looking to do another big increase. Now, his budget proposal calls for a cut of $7 billion. Well, that's not acceptable. We're, we're not going to go there. But we have to work in a bipartisan basis. Our delegation worked hard uh, to support uh, not only the Cures legislation, but NIH money to make sure that we have the money for the Great Lakes, all those different things. You have to work across the aisle to get things but done. But is that what, becoming harder? It is, it is. And how um, frustrating, is that changed, frustrating? Hasn't changed my line, you know, what I try to work on. Right. But yeah, it is, it's, it's harder because and if you look at, if you, as you follow me, you know I'm not a partisan bomb thrower. That right. has never been part of my philosophy. But we also, I think it's frustrating because we see, have seen so many people over the past eight years or so retire, sort of moderate voices yeah, retire out Dave, of frustration. Look, I mean, look at like Dave Camp, look at Candace Mike Miller, Rogers. Mike Rogers. Yeah. I mean, three of my very best friends. I made yeah. Mike Rogers cry when he told me he was leaving. <laughs> I said, you can't do this to me. But... <laughs> The good thing for me is Mike Bishop has uh, filled his shoes pretty well. He's, he's a really decent guy. John Molinar, per really pretty decent guy, f following the same path as uh, Dave Camp. And, of course, Paul Mitchell taking Candace's place, uh, a real leader. And, again, not the folks that you see on, you know, Crossfire. I know it's not anymore, but, you know, those shows right. that they just bang Sparring. each other back and, yeah, shoot each other. I want to ask you about the Paris Climate Agreement. We talked a little bit before this interview that you want to see it still. I think it'd be yeah. a mistake to pull out of it. Uh, Why? A couple different things. First of all, we have a, I think we have a pretty good impressive track record of showing that we've actually reduced emissions in this country over the last 10 years. Uh, you need to have some benchmark that can actually show that. That's what, Paris, that's what the Paris Accord did. It wasn't binding, it was set up goals. Uh, and you actually put folks into China or measuring devices into China, India, pretty large, many nations as well, 
uh, and to measure you know the, the progress or lack thereof that they're doing. So when you look at this thing, it, there's no there's no real penalties. It's goals, but we, hey, the climate's warming. We've got climate change. I'm, right. I've never been a denier, but let's work together to to see what we can do, particularly with technology and other advances to actually reduce the amount of emissions that we have. We, we did that with, you know, with the auto industry for the last number of decades, whether it be mileage standards or emissions, I mean, all those different things. And we've been a leader. We can continue to do that. And, and pulling out of the Paris Accords, I don't think it's a good idea. Well, Congressman Fred Upton, I can't thank you enough for your time this morning. It was really right. a pleasure. Go blue, go green. Oh, go green. And, and, see, and I got go it. In <laughs> You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm.